Hi everyone and welcome to Take 10 for Torah number 901. I hope you all are well. Any questions, comments, suggestions, recommendations, or sponsorships, please email me at rabbiismach at take10fortorah.org. I want to welcome all of the new listeners who have joined Take 10 for Torah train in honor of our 900th episode. The Shulchan Aruch, as we know, the Code of Jewish Law is divided into four sections. The Shulchan Aruch composed by Rabbi Yosef Karo, who he wasn't the first person to create a four-section organizational tool for all of Jewish law. Uh, the Rabbeinu Yaakov Baal HaTurim was the original one a couple generations earlier. But in any event, those four sections deal with the gamut of practical Jewish law. The first one, Arachayim, of course, deals with the laws of daily living. And for anybody who has read the first the third of it, it is sequenced as your day would go. The rest of it is holidays, so that's sort of sequenced in a different way, uh, particularly Shabbos is, is, you know, after the beginning, but the beginning is focused on the sequence of your day. So you wake up in the morning, that's the first halacha, and as you go the course of the day, there's tefillin, there's tzitzis, there's laws of shachris and laws of davening, and then of course mincha, and then marav, etc. But before that, before that, in the middle, between sort of the transition of davening and eating, we have a couple of very interesting halachos um, that are found over there in chapter 155, 156. I hope to quote from over the next bunch of uh, weeks. So, in Simon Kuf Nunhe, 155, so the last major amount of the work was dealing with chakras, what you do in shul in the morning, every single morning, those rituals. And then, of course, it's going to get into the laws of meals and brachos, but there are two chapters over here. This one talks about lelech mi beisaknesas medrash. So you're supposed to go from the shul to the beisaknesas. And the halacha reads as follows. After you've left shul, you've done chakras, you've done what you're supposed to, you, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to set up a time to learn in the base manner. Okay, first thing you're supposed to do. Now the Mishnah Baruch points out that that's obvious here that the Mishnah, that the excuse me the base medrash and the shul were two different places. So you would daven in one place and then you would move to the other place to learn. Nowadays we do both. So here you sort of would have uh, a person davens and then sit down to learn with a bunch of people afterwards. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to set up a time to learn. And the Mishnah Baruch adds that this time should be set. You shouldn't pass it up, even if uh, by passing it up you're going to have a lot of profit, you should still focus on the consistent time spent learning. So the Mishnah brings this idea, he quotes a Gemara that says, One who juxtaposes these two things, the Torah and the learn the davening. So he says there are a couple of advantages. Uh, one advantage is the pasuk uh, one who goes from strength to strength will see God in Zion. So therefore. The idea being one who's able to juxtapose their davening and their learning will uh, have the benefit of, of having uh, seeing the Shekhinah, seeing God in Zion. To put those two things together is the most incredible synthesis that you can do. It's like a, an incredibly powerful thing to put Torah and tefillah together. The Lavush goes so far as to say that your tefillos are contingent on your ability to go and learn after your davening. But most importantly, what he's saying is, get it done with, right? Not only is there the magic of putting the two of them together and the, and the synthesis of the two, but there's also the practical element that once you leave davening and you get to your day, who's got time? Who's got time to take a few minutes, take 10? For Torah, it gets so busy, things get so overwhelming. This idea 
taking time for Torah is, is obviously a very significant one. The Gemara on Shabbos talks about how one of the first questions we're asked, it's not clear if it's the first or it's the second, is kavata itam Torah. Did you set up times for Torah? Some suggest that the times mean that it's daytime and nighttime. There should be a time by day and there should be a time by night. Now again, the idea of setting up these times, this is not the upward limit, this is the sort of the bottom of the requirement. If somebody has a lot of time, somebody has nothing to do, so then we have a bo- uh, idea of Higisa Bo Yomam Valaila. You're supposed to learn as much as you can possibly learn. It's a very significant and important mitzvah. Elu Devarim She'ein Lahem Shior. It's one of the things that's famously listed, Torah learning, and one of the things famously listed is that, that it has no upward limit. The Talmud Torah Kenegad Kulam. You could spend as much time learning Torah, but when we talk about Kvias Itim, or the setting up of times to learn, we're talking about doing so for somebody who doesn't have other time to do so. Now, it's interesting that we, you know, what, what is it, why is it so significant? So the Karban Tamid, we know, is called the Karban Tamid. It's brought twice a day, but it's not Tamid. Tamid usually means constant. But when we talk about Tamid, constant doesn't necessarily have to be ongoing. Tamid really means consistent. And so the most important, the magic of being kovea itim, the question that we're asked at the end of our lives, is were we consistent about this? The Kafachayim, quoting the Ramami Pano, says that the time should actually be the same every single day. There should be a consistency to our learning. It should be baked in to what uh, our schedule of life. So there's a, a very interesting Mishnah Bura. The Mishnah Bura quotes a Gemara in Erevin. He says, Rebbe Bar Yaakov would borrow and repay his study hours, meaning if he had time in the morning uh, and he was supposed to learn and he wasn't able to do it, he would ha- repay it at night. So he considered this time to be an absolutely inflexible part of his schedule. And that was, to him, how he, so to speak, stole the time. Now, the idea of stealing time is really interesting. The Shari Tshuva says, based on a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, the word kaviyah, like kaviyas itim, we usually understand kava means a person is uh, set. Kava means to set something up. But there's a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah where a guy comes uh, to a rabbi and he says, kavan planya, a certain person was kava me. And Levi, who was the rabbi in question, didn't understand what he was talking about. And finally, somebody fills him in, and he says it means to rob, it means to steal, as if kvias itim means to steal away time. We all know the famous story of, I don't know, fill in the blank, maybe Rav Moshe Feinstein, I've heard it with Rav Moshe Feinstein, where he's making a, a siyam, and somebody says, what are you being messiah, what are you finishing? And he says, I'm finishing shas. How many times has it been? And he answers the second time. And the person in attendance says, really, you, Rav Moshe Feinstein, are only finishing shas a second time? So he says, no, 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 of course, I finished it many more times than that. But this is referring to times that were downtime, when I'm online, when I'm here, when I'm there, when I'm stealing time, which perhaps might not be part of my itim, part of the set time of the day in which I learn, but it's the time that I have stolen to do so. There's another question, a little bit uh, more cynical, where a rabbi goes and he finishes learning all of Mishnah Bura, and he makes a big party, and somebody's in attendance and says, Rabbi, when did you have time to do this? So he says, oh, actually, you know, just two minutes here, five minutes here, ten minutes there. And so the person in attendance who asked the question says to the rabbi, oh, really? That's pretty easy. Sounds pretty easy. I could do that. But the rabbi turns to him and says, yeah, 
but I did it. And it's not so easy to, to pull off. It's definitely not so easy to do so with the consistency of every single day. This whole project of Take 10 for Torah is attempting to uh, make this point. Questions that come up when it comes to Kviyas Itim, and I don't want to get into all of the details here, but whether or not a person who learns full-time, a person who studies a teacher, uh, a person learning in Kolo, a person who gets paid for the time of learning, is that considered Kviyas Itim? Is that considered spending the time, taking the time to single out from your schedule for your Torah learning? Is the Torah that you learn generally as part of your Parnassa uh, included? And I'll tell you firsthand how hard it is sometimes to schedule your own learning when you have otherwise so much to teach. You constantly tell yourself that I'm learning for others and I'm learning for that reason, but it's not necessarily for yourself. And so that challenge exists irrespective of the industry. We've talked in the past in the Take 10 for Torah series about learning on Shabbos and how the expectation on Shabbos when we do have more time is to uh, learn a little bit more. And finally, the Shulchan Aruch mentions that even if this is at great expense, even if a person has to go and uh, uh, avoid some sort of business deal, not necessarily get to work on time, and he thinks there's going to be an expense there, uh, it still is something that is worth singling out the time, making sure you get that done, preferably right next to davening for the reasons we mentioned before, but definitely so you don't get caught up in other things. Uh, but there's one very interesting comment I saw. Uh, the um, the Shulchan Aruch talks about how even if a person doesn't have a lot of money, really is at uh, bare bones, you still have to take out time to study Torah, and even though it comes at great expense. And so the question is asked, if that's the case, isn't there a rule of al yivaz veiz yoser mechomesh? You're not supposed to spend the amount of money on mitzvahs that's more than 20% of your income. It's true for tzedakah, it's true for many things. You never have to spend more than 20% of your assets on a mitzvah. Otherwise, you could go poor from mitzvahs, and that's not what's supposed to happen. And so I saw an answer given. I don't recall right now who gives the answer, but I saw the answer given that when it comes to Torah study, even though it could theoretically cost you more than 20%, Torah study is not like any other mitzvah. Torah study is what really makes us Jews. It gives us the confidence, the knowledge. It allows us to do everything else. It makes everything else in our Judaism possible. And so it's not just any old mitzvah where that 20% sacrifice is all that we were required. More is required. Good luck with whatever you can get.